Welcome to Manic in Miami. This is Holly Hurricane. I am back with another episode in my psychosis series. Today I have a Miami native living in Portland, Oregon named Levi Desaunier who specializes in psychedelics and psychotherapy. And he has done extensive research on LSD in psychotherapy and has an enormous amount of interesting and fascinating information about the intersection between psychosis and psychedelics and the experience and what that means for the future of psychology. And there is so much more that Levi was kind enough to share, and I will probably be sharing some of that in future episodes. Now, before we get started, I have completely revamped the website. It is now functioning, and it has a library as one of the pages, and Levi supplied us with so much information, and I've put it all in the Manic in Miami library. Please go to the website, and I'm posting it in the description. Thank you, and enjoy. I have a BA in psychology from the Evergreen State College. Um, I did my undergraduate thesis in LSD psychotherapy. And currently, I am working with the Fireside Project, who does psychedelic support during the journey and integration post-journey. And I am also waiting to attend grad school at Naropa University for my MA um, in clinical mental health counseling, specifically focused on mindfulness-based transpersonal psychology. So the new wave of the psychedelic renaissance that's coming into play, a lot of people are really worried about increased psychosis and hospitals getting flooded with people who try to do substances for mental health needs and don't have the resources. You know Hamilton Morris, right? From a um, he had a friend who had a very bad LSD trip and went into a psychotic state and never really came out of it and developed schizophrenia later. Do mm -hmm. you think that my ego death experience could have influenced my psychosis? So it, it could have, if it was like a particularly like potent experience. I don't think psychosis is bad. <laughs> I know that's like kind of a weird thing to say, but I, I think it's, Towards the end of his life, Carl Jung wrote this book called The Red Book, where he took a lot of time off work and was basically having like a like spiritual crisis of a sorts. Um, and he spent every day like drawing and writing and just kind of like contextualizing what he was going through. Um, yeah. And although I haven't read through the red book, which is kind of hard to get your hands on. You know, I, I think there's a reason that he wrote that kind of towards the end of his life. Like, I think he was grappling with his own mortality. Yeah. Um, and he had to have that crisis in that space in order to come to a place where he felt comfortable with dying. And I, I think psychosis kind of works the same way psychosis 
and dreams and near-death experiences. I mean, we shouldn't dismiss any of them. Really. Yeah, no, we shouldn't be. I mean, it, it does us a disservice to dismiss them. And so what has your experience been like with LSD? With LSD, how I've contextualized what I've experienced throughout each of my trips um, has really been defined by Stanislav Grof. Well, he wrote this book called Spiritual Emergency. I mean, it's great. And it helps outline a lot of my like difficult journeys with LSD. And I learned a lot about like why I experienced them as a result of that. So from when I started doing LSD, I kind of dropped into like depthy, I think, being dissociated for so long, I had a lot of trust issues. Pretty much everyone in my life up until I was 15 was really abusive towards me. I'm returning to psychedelic work after like a pretty big hiatus. I think the last LSD journey I did was back in 2014. Psychedelics really, they're all just tools, you know, so in different contexts, they're going to work differently. And they can be beneficial or they can be, you know, a negative thing. I mean, I had my personal kind of heightened state experience. Like I said earlier, Grov created this framework for it. He did, he was focused more on the individual. He outlined things via perinatal experiences and kind of like mapped it that way. Cause the LSD journey is very much similar to like the birth experience. There's actually this book I'm reading now um, called LSD Diamonds in the Sky or something like that. I I forget the full title, but it's by this guy named Chris Bache, who did um, 200 high dose LSD sessions, like very high dose. And he doesn't recommend this for anyone else. And (laughs) he's an interesting guy. He's kind of like he's gone through multiple ego death experiences and encountered like a lot of collective content. And that I don't think has been really outlined before. So it's kind of like a new thing that that's being like talked about and examined. After that experience of, of this out of body unifying. It's massively important that we do access it. I think it develops a lot of compassion and empathy. That, that's a big part of why I went into psychedelic work. I had like a year long stint in community health and our program um, with Neighborhood House was focused on housing, substance use and mental health. So I had a lot of clients that were unhoused and like literally just dying on the street. Um, and I, I couldn't take it anymore because like no matter how hard I tried or what resources I applied for, like I couldn't or help them access anything. So there is an emotional disconnect that happens at a certain point where they're just kind of like mad that clients are stressed about. It, it's just like, dude, they're people and they're suffering. Like you have to be compassionate about that. Community can be immensely powerful. I mean, prior to psychotherapy existing, like people healed in communities, it's not like... Within my LSD experience, um, the last journey I had was actually kind of like a completion of the difficult journeys I had had where I had ended up in a heightened state, um, which 
you know, manifested as like, at first me thinking I was God um, and then kind of progressing into basically watching the apocalypse play out around me and experiencing like my death. That's called the ego death. And I experienced that with five MEO DMT, which I've done a a few times in ceremonies. It's like the sense of unity, right? That you're just Mm -hmm. out of your body and you're part of some larger unified energy. Yeah. Um, And I also, I had um, a trip sitter who like held me and told me everything was going to be okay. That was a large part of me, like actually getting through that experience, having someone hold me and like ground me, allowed me to like have that death go blank for, and then restart. And all of a sudden there's no hell outside. (laughs) There are a couple studies that um, talked about the brain doesn't, there's no difference between spiritual states induced by psychedelics and spiritual states that are induced by like meditation or meditation, which which may have impacted religion. Yeah. Um, LSD specifically um, was used um, by the ancient Greeks during the festival of Eleusis, which was like for Persephone um, who went down into hell for to be with Hades for a number of months. She's, she's like the goddess of like the seasons changing. Okay. Um, so during the winter months, she's down with Hades in hell. And during the spring and summer, she's like up with her mother. Um, there, there's a whole myth behind it. I, I don't remember the exact details of the myth, but basically um, the ancient Greeks would use it to induce um, ego deaths, basically um at a festival together <laughs> wow um, yeah so so that, that's a, that's pr- pretty cool origin story i think and it, it wasn't like lsd in its form now it was um an ergot fungi alkaloid that's more similar to lsa i believe um but you know it, it, i i think it's still pretty cool that a drug that's so similar to lsd was used I've seen a dark entity and demons, actual demons in your research. Have you come across psychedelics being interpreted that way? Uh, Yeah. Um, So another facet of my therapist's work is actually um, like alien kind of related stuff. Um, Less so like demonic entities, but I mean, they, they kind of, manifest similarly from what I've heard and understand. Um, I mean, no one can really say like, oh yeah, those experiences exist or don't exist. It's more so like how they're contextualizing and like the mythology behind them that I think is coming to the surface and needs to be contextualized. Um, At least that's like, her kind of way of going about it. It's like validating the emotions behind it. And reality, you can't tell people that they didn't experience something. You don't really know. Exactly. Yeah. I understand that I was making parallels to things and finding meaning in things where there Mm -hmm. really was 
no synchronicity and that was just delusional. I was able to to get insight. Entirely. So with my dissociation, I started having premonition dreams when I was like eight, not like out here seeing what's going to happen with, I don't know, the next presidency, you know, it's, it's not like big events. I um, had a dream about like sitting at the lunch table with like some friends of mine and having a conversation about, I don't know, some cartoon or something along those lines. And two or three weeks later, I had that exact scene like play out in my waking life. It's helped me like feel a lot less shame when it comes to those altered state heightened experiences, because like they're there even when you're sober, you know, there's so much we don't understand. There are more spaces opening up that are safe for kind of exploring those. Like um, I found my therapist through the spiritual emergence network after I had like a dismemberment dream. Um, Cause that was kind of like my come to Jesus. I woke up in like a cold sweat at 3am and <laughs> was like, I need to do something different. There's that there's um, the hearing voices network, which is more of like a peer run kind of thing um, that, you know, um, I think they have a network of therapists as well that kind of like facilitate the groups they run, but um, they have like local little groups where you can go and talk about like, your altered state experiences and like psychosis and, you know, people are a lot more um, accommodating (laughs) to say the least. I had a lot of shame about my heightened state experiences. I mean, pretty much up until, I mean, even still currently, like there is some shame floating around there. It's, it's just like, I have to keep reminding myself is an experience that came up in order to, I mean, it it did at the time save my life too. You know, like I started talking about trauma that I had never been able to talk about before. And the second one I had, um, I was in a really like abusive relationship and I probably wouldn't have survived staying in it for much longer. Um, There was a lot of drug use and I could feel like my body just not doing so hot um, to say the least. So, you know, I, I had those heightened state experiences in order to continue living, even though they were, you know, chaotic and some parts of them were a lot to handle. Um, I'm glad they did ultimately. So are you glad that you are glad that, um, psychosis mm-hmm. am I glad because I kind of think I am, but I also feel like there's, I should never <laughs> say that. I mean, it's all, it's all personal, I think. And sometimes like in therapy and anything else, like when you're at a different place emotionally, you come back to the same topics and view them in a much different way. Um, And I, I feel like, you know, that is kind of a rule with like psychotic states or like heightened states, states of madness, whatever you want to call them. I think even though they are often chaotic, they're there for a reason. I I don't know if you're familiar with theory of the collective unconscious, union theory. Yeah. I do think psychedelic substances allow us to like access that collective in that framework. Like capitalism is just pure evil. (laughs) 
you know, there, there are so many people suffering under capitalism and yeah. And then who can afford a lot of these psychedelics? I mean, exactly. And people who have historically used them for ceremony work for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, ayahuasca is now like a tourism industry. Oh, yeah. You know, you have private equity bankers from Hong Kong who are like, I spent five weeks in Peru and now I'm in like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's It's been really painful for me to watch psychedelics becoming intertwined with capitalism. A lot of the problems just kind of, I, I feel like psychedelics can do a lot of good in certain contexts and because they're being used in other contexts, you know, like yeah. with microdosing. Oh, I tune into my flow state to be able to do my work and like do spreadsheets better. Like that's insane. Uh, Yeah. And capitalism in in this country in particular just creates so much stress and Mm -hmm. creates so many mental health problems. Everyone is mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you aren't like losing your shit a little bit, like are you even in reality right now? Like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, uh, then there are the, the pop psychologists that like are really literally get their degree only to be influencers on social media. Yeah. And a little creepy looking how they kind of mm-hmm. blend into each other. They're giving mental health advice and trying to help people, but they're also flaunting their lifestyles. How is that mental health care? And millions of people are really following this. <sighs> I mean, it's insanity. I don't know. I, I think we're in late stage capitalism. So I'm I'm kind of slowly but surely getting involved with the Portland Psychedelic Society. And um, I was in a meeting that was talking about uh, SB 109 and the recent closed off session. And there were therapists in there. Like, I don't know if I even want to like get my licensure anymore. Community, it has like a different effect than individual psychotherapy and both can be helpful at the same time. Most psychotherapy is kind of abusive and weird and doesn't resonate with the individual. I'm I'm not a big fan of behavioral therapies like DBT, CBT. I am not either. I don't think it works for most people if we're being realistic. It lends itself to like functionality. It's like teaching people to mask. Yes. Yeah. From a critical perspective, ignorant (laughs) entirely yeah i mean a lot of a lot of western psychology kind of is there's this idea that we've come so far you know just putting people in asylums and lobotomizing and you know all these really historically abusive practices we haven't really i mean the main method of treatment for dealing with psychosis is sedation and the, the chemical imbalance theory is actually it's been disproven. A lot of psychiatrists, they're, they're trying to figure out a more holistically oriented approach to disorders where medication might be required. So y- you have to think about effects these medications are having in terms of like an entire body, not just the brain. Another thing that this integration of the non-Western and Western, I was speaking with a psychiatrist. He had a patient who was a child from a a Somalian immigrant family. Mm -hmm. And from the Western perspective, had developed schizophrenic symptoms. Mm -hmm. And the belief of the family was that they needed to do an exorcism. Mm -hmm. And as the psychiatrist, he 
had a compromise with a Somali priest. They wanted to bring an animal in to slaughter in the hospital. (laughs) He tried to be as accommodating as possible to Mm -hmm. their beliefs and their belief system. Yeah, there was actually, there was a great book I read during my time at Evergreen called um, The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down. About the Vietnamese? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, the the girl with epilepsy. Yes. I think it just speaks to the need to integrate the experiences that are meaningful for the person into healthcare. I mean, healthcare really should be individualized, in my opinion. Like cultural competency and like trauma-informed care, they should just be the standard. Have you um, come across Naropa University? So Naropa is based in Boulder, Colorado, and they integrate East and West knowledge. The program I'm doing with them is actually um, mindfulness-based transpersonal psychology. So it's transpersonal psychology in combination with a lot of that like meditative, contemplative practice stuff. Um, So I actually, I don't know that much about ketamine, unfortunately. Ketamine is kind of my least favorite psychedelic and always has been. (laughs) I mean, uh, when I was doing it at field trip um they had a whole step so they stick you in like a zero gravity chair you know they administer the medication while um a therapist is with you in the room the whole time um and you know after that's all done and finished they like kind of tap you to check in with you just to make sure like you're okay to walk um that you know you're, you're not about to puke or anything like that um and then they take you into like a separate room that has nice soft carpet and like, you know, kind of low seating couches and beanbags and stuff. And they set you up with like things to color in and like, Oh yeah. Kind of like art art therapy. Exactly. Yeah. With soft music and they give you some like light snacks and tea. Um, That sounds incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Field field trip was pretty great. Um, I had a really good experience with them while I was there. Can you um, explain what that is, why you went, and what happened? Of course. Okay. Um, so me and my therapist, uh, she's a transpersonal psychologist, had kind of been discussing okay. the possibility of ketamine therapy after I got finished with a lot of like EMDR. Um, I did some sensory deprivation as well, like floating. Um, oh, what? And can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about what that is specifically? Because- people listening may not know. Totally. Um, So floating um, is basically laying in either a pod or like a room in water that's heated to body temperature and filled with Epsom salt. So you float and it's supposed to mimic a womb, basically. How did you progress from there to ketamine therapy? So uh, those are altered state experiences that you can like come out of by choice pretty easily. Um, EMDR uses binaural stimulation. And what is EMDR exactly for those who may not know? It's uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So um, the, you either use tapping or like headphone noise that switches from one ear to the next or one knee to the next um to get that brain connection thing going and then you go into um traumatic memories and reprocess them and recontextualize them with the help of a counselor 
I overall feel a lot better. It's it's not like the grief from them ever gets a whole lot smaller. You can get past them a little bit, some sense of understanding and closure. Yeah, to some extent. I mean, it, it just feels a lot less painful. Therapist facilitating will usually check in with you on a scale from one to 10, how like distressing is the memory and then they'll do it at the end. Um, okay. The process is basically like empowering you to do what you wanted to do in that setting, like in the memory. So for instance, I uh, saved a three-year-old from drowning when I was eight. So reprocessing that the end of the memory or the middle of the memory, I guess, when I jumped in the pool, um, instead of me jumping in, um, the nanny jumped in and got him. So I didn't really have as much of like a hands-on role in recontextualizing that memory. I, you know, picked a blue child up off the floor of the pool. (laughs) The psychiatrist said he heard it. And I think another podcast about veterinary medicine And he said that when cats come out of surgery after they're sedated with ketamine, they need a calming environment. And so they take the cats in the veterinary hospital and put them away from any barking dogs or any loud animals that might disturb them so they can peacefully come out of um, the sedative effect of the ketamine. That's really cool. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense because cats really are so anxious, feeling safe and how that affects the healing process. In the end, cats are there too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cats are there. (laughs) That's for sure. Freeze-dried shrimps. Pancake loves them. Yeah, Pan Pan. She plays fetch. So, like... Mine plays tag. She hits me. Oh, nice. We need to develop into something Uh, more compassionate and better. Mental health care is reaching this critical mass. That way to i mean really revolutionize psychology i i think that's a fallacy a lot of therapists have where it's like oh i'm perfect and healed and now i can help other people heal and it's like we're all just going through it hardcore and you know i i think uh being more honest about that is important and that's kind of where i'm at with my stuff so there was something i was doing called um breath work have you ever Oh, actually, I have done some breath work, and that's very effective. Word. Um, so there is like an online breath work community. I think it's called uh, Neurodynamic Breath Work. They can't call it holotropic because it's like all facilitated online. Um, but that is relatively cost effective if it works for you, um, and that's kind of like a body awareness practice that could be helpful otherwise just getting involved with like different um like buddhist communities and doing yes. like meditative work that's more like body focused really glad that there there are compassionate empathetic open people like you who are going to change mental health care so i also want to say thank you well uh thank you for continuing to remain open and hopeful <laughs> you know I, I know it's hard i went through it myself so 